0: Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Juves. Isabel Juves. Bienvenidos.
1: Atenida. Atenida. americana.
0: Welcome. Welcome. Bienvenidos. From Stanford to the world. And today, from Atene Americana, we're bringing you a new show about the pollution that illegal gold mining is causing in the Amazon and the grave situation this is giving to the whole system. And for that, we are talking with the executive director of CINCIA, Luis Fernandez, who is stationed here at Stanford University, and he's going to tell us more about what's going on, what's happening in Peru right now, and how can we help and how how can they help what they are doing and I hope you enjoy this show today remember that this and all our shows are at ateneaamericana.org or at stanfordhispanic broadcasting.org I hope you enjoy your shows and remember that you can also visit us at all our social media sites or listen to the show in any of the podcast platforms so stay with us here and learn a little bit more about the illegal mining in the amazon and what are the consequences of that and we are Back here at Stanford Radio. We are recording from KCSU. Uh- right in the heart of Stanford. And our guest today is, is Professor Luis Fernandez, and he is coming from CISA, it is the Centro de Innovación Científica Amazona, of Center of Innovation, of Scientific Innovation in the Amazon. And uh, he is telling us a little bit more about prices of deforestation with uh, mining uh, in the Amazon and how what is happening right now in Peru. And welcome. Thank you for coming here.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So tell us a little bit first about your agency and what are you guys focused in? What is your, your mission?
1: Sure. So um, the Center for Amazonian Scientific Innovation is a research center that's located in uh, Peru, in the Madre de Dios region, uh, which is close to the triple border between Brazil, Bolivia... And Peru. So what we do is we focus on the issue of environmental damage from artisanal gold mining. Mm-hmm. And uh, many people uh, sometimes are a little confused when they think about gold mining in rainforests. But actually, um, gold mining often occurs in rainforests, especially ones that are close to mountains, because the soils underneath these rainforests oftentimes have higher levels of gold and other precious minerals, and also in the rivers and lakes of the region. Mm -hmm. So it's something that is uh, found in all of the countries in in the Amazon basin. Mm -hmm. Um, We work in Madre de Dios, which unfortunately over the last 15 years has experienced uh, a rather spectacular gold boom. Um, That's the result of historically high gold prices. Mm -hmm. um, A new a highway that was built through the middle of uh, a series of national parks and ecological reserves, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and a uh, rise in internal migration from the highlands of Peru, the Andean region, down to the gold fields Mm -hmm. um, because of existing problems with poverty. Mm -hmm. So that's created essentially a perfect storm Where uh, about 50,000 miners have come into the area and invaded um, national parks, protected areas, uh, native preserves, um, private lands, Mm -hmm. and started to mine the area. Now this is an area that is it's not a big company that does this um, those are usually the, the what happens in in mountain countries uh, because you need a lot of money to break rocks to do the mining. This is actually much more similar to what we here in the states would Think about is Forty ers They're, mm-hmm. you know, what happened in the eighteen fifties and sixties in California, Nevada, where there's uh, people that go to the gold fields. They try to find their fortune, and they basically just start panning for gold. So even though it's not a big company, when you have up to fifty thousand people panning for gold and using really primitive technologies with no environmental safeguards, you can have a tremendous impact. And that's exactly what happened. The one thing that I should mention is. Um, what we see is a lot of deforestation. We see the loss mm-hmm. of forests. Um, but we, what we don't see, what's more invisible, is the fact that miners using this kind of mining style use mercury mm-hmm. to do the processing of the sediments in the soils, mm-hmm. just like they did in the 1850s and 60s. Um, so mercury uh, is a neurotoxin. Yeah. It's an environmental contaminant. It's an element, so it never goes away. It doesn't break down um, and it's extremely toxic and it has the unusual characteristic of being able to get concentrated in the food chain
0: mm-hmm.
1: of rivers and lakes. So basically it goes into the food chain and rivers and then gets concentrated up uh, up to potentially a fish that a person mm-hmm. might eat and, and we actually see this. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in California, I live in San Francisco um, yeah. and I know about this because When I go fishing in the Sierra Nevadas, or Mm -hmm. if I go fishing in the San Francisco Bay, I can't eat the fish there because of the mercury that was released 150 years ago during the California Gold Rush. This is essentially what's happening in places like Madre de Dios. Mm -hmm. People are eating contaminated fish, Mm -hmm. um, and we've done studies um, in Peru that have shown 75% of the population have. Mercury Levels Above WHO Limits. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually formed an analytical chemistry laboratory uh, there in the Peruvian Amazon that focuses on mercury. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's the only environmental mercury laboratory in the country. Um, and the problem was so big and we had so many samples that instead of trying to bring everything back to Stanford, to my mm-hmm. mercury lab here in the Department of Global Ecology at the Carnegie Institution here on campus, that we actually had to create a laboratory there to be able to process the thousands and thousands of samples that we needed to do to figure out what's going on in the area Mm -hmm. and figure out how people are being affected.
0: And I suppose map it and see how far away it's going.
1: Yes. So we we basically do uh, science uh, studies on soils, sediments, animals, fish tissue, uh, hair samples of people, the air. Um, We need to know where the mercury is in the environment, where it's moving to, and how it may be affecting uh, either human populations or wildlife.
0: And uh, I suppose also it's is a big social problem. Uh, as you say, they are like getting They are like these little people that is coming and is doing it in a very, say, artisan way. It's not a big corporation that is building towns and uh, having some sort of order, if it can be had, is probably people not very rich and they are not going to get very rich as, you know, nobody was really reach after the golden rush in California either. Uh,
1: That's right. Mm -hmm. The, um, what happens on the ground Mm -hmm. is a series of small towns, basically little mining towns, um, which are just a collection of uh, tarps many times. Um, Young men that work in the gold fields that then start to create small shanty towns Um, where you, we're not talking about places that have cement or steel buildings. They're basically either wooden structures or even just sometimes tents. Um, And there you have essentially what miners need, right? They need a place to buy some equipment, to get some uh, fuel for their uh, generators and their motors. Um, They need to sell their gold. So there's gold buyers. Um, Places... uh, essentially to, to, to get drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's lots of bars. And unfortunately, these gold mining towns is a center for human trafficking because mm-hmm. there are usually brothels there too. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, in, in these kinds of areas, and certainly in Mare Dios, it is one of the main corridors for human trafficking, um, particularly of underage girls mm-hmm. uh, in uh, the Western Amazon. So this illegal activity oftentimes brings other illegal uh, activities along with it. So you have black markets for uh, for people. You have black markets for diesel, for the sale of illegal gold, for the sale of uh, illegal mercury, um and in an area that is close to a triple border, you have a lot of contraband that's moving back and forth, very porous borders between Bolivia, Peru and Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's created an area that the Peruvian state considers uh, well, out of control. Um, the, the region produces between three an estimated three to four billion dollars of gold a year. Mm-hmm. and that is not being taxed it's not going into the formal economy and uh very likely is uh, going out through the through the borders or being folded in somehow into the the economy peru is a major gold producer it's the number five uh producer in the world yet uh, an estimated 20 percent of its gold production um, comes from illegal artisanal gold mining Mm. Much of that in the Amazon region. Um, How that conversion happens from illegal gold to legal gold is not very well understood Mm. because this is a very shadowy uh, economy. So there is a lot of questions about, um, you know, where does the gold go after it leaves the mining camps? Mm. Who are the traders? Who are the actors? Uh, What's the system of corruption that allows this sort of... um, cleaning up or laundering of the gold. So it gets into the, into the uh, formal economy. Um.
0: And then in the meantime, then you have this very bad social situation and then you have 150,000 acres of uh, rainforest gone. yeah, And possibly very polluted, very dif- difficult to, to reuse for anything.
1: That's right, yeah. So I'm a tropical ecologist. I study rainforests. Um, And this is something that's uh, very uh, impactful for me because in the area, um, we've done uh, an analysis of 35 years of satellite imagery. And what we've seen is that uh, 115,000 hectares, which is about 250,000 acres of primary virgin rainforests have been destroyed. Um, And they... They haven't just been deforested. In other words, you just didn't cut down trees. They've mined the soils up to um, 30 feet down. So these are areas that will not regenerate to natural uh, to to rainforests in my lifetime. Um, they're extremely degraded, and in some cases they're contaminated with mercury. So, uh, and what we see—it's even more concerning—is that the pattern is that it's getting more and more uh, damaging and the deforestation is accelerating. The year 2018 was the highest on record and 2019 may be on track for beating that. So we see the deforestation getting worse. Um, Like I had mentioned, this is something that happens in the eight countries in Amazonia um, and Mm -hmm. it might be the worst one, but it's certainly not the the only one. So, Ultimately, what we want to do with our science is develop the means for detecting this, Mm -hmm. um, for uh, figuring out how to restore areas that are affected and have the uh, ability for people in other parts of the world to understand that it's happening. Mm
0: -hmm. And uh, pretty much how to stop it.
1: Yeah, indeed. You know, it's really, really comp- complex because gold holds a fascination for humans. Everyone mm-hmm. loves gold. Everybody wants gold. Um, and that's reflected in the global price of gold. It is, you know, h- at historic highs. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time the price of gold goes up, you, you have a reaction in areas that have gold in the ground. You get gold booms. Mm-hmm. Um, gold mining is really dangerous. But if the price is high enough, people will try to mine it and earn some money for themselves and satisfy the global demand. Mm -hmm. It does mean that people here in the States are part of that process. Mm -hmm. Some would say part of the problem. Um, Right now, uh, if you go to any mall, there's going to be a jeweler. And Mm -hmm. most of the things that are on offer there are gold. Um, And everybody wants a good price for their for their earrings, for the gift they, they give to their loved one, for their wedding ring. But how much of us ask where that gold comes from? Mm-hmm. Um, we care about where our coffee comes from, if we want organic coffee, or whether or not our uh, apple is grown in a sustainable way. But
0: And we made it easy to trace, but gold is different, and you can melt it and put whatever in it. It's, a,
1: yeah, it's a challenge. But one thing that needs to be developed essentially is... Um, Fair gold, green gold, there's a lot of name for it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, precious uh, gems like diamonds are now um, cruelty-free. Certified. They're certified. They're, you know, remember blood diamonds. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of blood gold. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one is to develop the means for traceability and for certification. But the other is actually developing a demand. Um, creating enough awareness for people in the United States, Europe, Japan, to want to pay a little extra Mm -hmm. for making sure that the gold essentially doesn't destroy rainforests Mm -hmm. and support human trafficking.
0: And it's changing the climate. It's very
1: urgent to stop it. Yeah. Um, There is a direct connection with climate change because uh, essentially um, gold mining a rainforest area is one of the worst ways that you can impact the landscape because you not only destroy and release, um, I say you not only release the carbon that's locked in the um, trees, you're mining down into the soils, releasing all the carbon that's stored um, subsurface, and you destroy the ability for both the trees and the soil to absorb that carbon In the future. Mm -hmm. So you basically release both the above ground and below ground carbon and you shut down the mechanism for the absorption in the future for that for that carbon. So it's no longer a carbon sink. Um, If you do that uh, at a big enough scale, you have a very serious impact. And so when you compare deforestation, not all deforestation is the same. Um, essentially, I would put um, artisanal gold mining at the very worst end of that scale.
0: Thank you for listening to Atenea Americana, your house of culture in the radio and online. In this bilingual show, I bring you every week, one hour in English and one hour in Spanish, opening a window to the cultural Hispanic world. You can hear in the intro and at the final of the show, as well as right now, music from the legend of Latin jazz, Oscar Hernandez. This and all my shows are in stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org, where I wait for your comments. I invite you to be part of this. Is there any uh, information, uh, uh, well, positive information? I don't know if there is a, about how this has happened because that this has been happening a lot in uh, in the rainforest in the in the Amazon. Pretty much, uh, it happened in Brazil. It has been uh, eating the the rainforest uh, for many years now, uh, even in, in Venezuela. Uh, so. Is there any lesson to be learned other than the destruction? You say that it can take 150 years at least, or there is something that can be done?
1: Well, one thing that we do is we try to um, do the science to understand how we can accelerate the process for reforestation. Mm -hmm. Um, Left to its own devices, there will be restoration, but it's going to be slow. And in many cases, the forest that comes back is not going to be as biodiverse as it was before. There are means to improve the chances for that forest to come back to something that's more similar to what you to what was lost. Mm-hmm. Um, we, for example, have created um, the largest um, experimental uh, research plot network in the Americas. Forty-two hectares of, uh, of research plots where we test sixty different native amazonian tree species uh for use in reforestation in the mining zone so we basically go to abandoned mining areas we establish our plots and we try different combinations of these 60 species to see what works and what doesn't work that gives us the data to be able to develop methodologies for you know where you know you have an area that could be um, uh, abandoned by mining that was formerly mine zones like okay um given the soils, given the slope, given this elevation, these kinds of trees will work if you want to you know, just do ecological restoration. If you need to you know, get some income out of that forest and maybe have some fruit trees or some wooded uh, some species where you can recover some wood after 10 years, then you can add in some of these other species. We always try to do native species because what we hope to do is not only accelerate the restoration of the forest, but A forest includes animals. So if you're using native tree species, then you start to restore connectivity Mm -hmm. of highly fragmented forests in these areas. Mm -hmm. Um, There's another question about what to do with the rivers and lakes that are contaminated with mercury. Um, That's a harder question because there's very little information about that. Um, In these parts of the world, uh, in, in the Amazon, there's not a lot of work on understanding what can be done. The only examples that we have are uh, some efforts in, in the U.S. and in Europe. But what we see there is that it's very hard to do and extraordinarily expensive. It may not be worth it um, because it's likely not to work in really remote areas. And it's going to be too high of a cost. So a lot of it is you know, not so much how you solve the problem, but how do you adapt or mitigate um, like, do you not eat fish from these areas? Can you use this information for creating fish advisories? Mm-hmm. We, we have these in the States. Um, that's, you know, in California, you can go to some lakes and there's a sign that says, don't eat the fish here because of mining from 150 years ago. Or the ones that we have for tuna or swordfish that says you should only eat a couple, if you're pregnant, you should, you know, only eat tuna two times a month. Mm-hmm. Or something like this. So, with with scientific information, with data, um, you start to have the ability to develop um, policies that uh, benefit public health and the environment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you have the whole food sh- food chain that come after that because you cannot tell the animals don't eat more than X number of fishes and. Mm-hmm. And then the animals that are the natives hunt the animals and, you know, it keeps moving. And as you say, uh, the possible extinction of some animals in that area, because in the Amazon every few hundred kilometers, you have a complete new set of wider consequences happen then. Uh, animals, possibly insects, because that's the, the magic of the biodiversity. How, how these micro areas create new things that once they are lost, they are lost.
1: That's right. Tropical rainforests are um, some of the most biodiverse places in the world, but they're one of the most endemic as well. There are species that are found only there and in really small patches. So you could potentially cause extinction of species if you start to deforest some areas. But essentially the effects that are the most unknown are the effects on the wildlife. Mm -hmm. Um, Very little science has been done on how these impacts is uh, is affecting the wildlife we assume that there is going to be an effect but we're doing the studies to understand how um, sediments increasing in rivers affects fishes how high concentrations of mercury in the environment affect fishes, giant river otters, bats, birds um, many of them migratory birds Mm -hmm. um, that are now stopping because instead of Tall trees in a forest. Now they have these mining pits, which are full of water. In uh, many cases, they're contaminated with mercury. They're now stopping, um, eating some some plants or some insects on their way to their spawning grounds. So there there's a lot of questions. Um, we don't have the answers yet, but we're working on it. Um, we have teams of uh, aquatic biologists, uh, mercury scientists, um, forest ecologists to do the studies to lay down the baseline for understanding what's going on in the region and how it's likely to change in the near future.
0: And remember that today we are talking here in Latin Americana with Professor Luis Fernandez about the illegal coal mining in the Amazon, in the Peruvian Amazon, and the problems it's causing and what is being uh, done right now, and uh, what are the tests we are learning from that? So stay with us here in atene Americana. Remember that this and all our shows can be heard also at Stanford Hispanic broadcasting.org or ateneamericana.org and also in every podcast platform out there. So I hope you're enjoying the show. Stay with us. <laughs>
1: Y es que parece que hacer música de vago Y si no compensa pues trabajas
0: a little bit about the conference that was happening last week here in the campus and how that can help the cause.
1: That's right. Mm-hmm. So me and several of my colleagues from Peru uh, came up to present at uh, Stanford's Natural Capital Project Symposium which is an annual, ca- uh, an annual conference uh, that gathers uh, scientists, economists, uh, environmental specialists um, to Mm -hmm. talk about um, how to uh, incorporate ecosystem services into the discussion of environmental protection. And ecosystem services are basically everything that a well-functioning environment provides uh, the, the world. So a forest isn't just a collection of trees and animals. It provides clean water. It absorbs carbon dioxide, which, you know, helps regulate the temperature of the planet. It, uh, you know, has a series of functions on a systemic level that uh, is sometimes not brought into the calculation when you talk about environmental protection. Um, So we uh, gave a series of, uh, presentations in a track of, uh, of talks that was given in Spanish. So for the first time at the Natural Capital Symposium, um, we had simultaneous translations from Spanish to English, and many of the presenters uh, were uh, partners from... Latin America that flew here that don't speak English. So normally they wouldn't be able to present, but because we uh, we had the simultaneous translation, they could um, speak in their native language, the audience were also given uh, special headsets so that a translator would translate it in, into English, and we, I think, had a much richer discussion. Um, and we had people that came from Colombia, from Ecuador, from Peru, from Brazil, uh, from Mexico, and other countries in Latin America, uh, because it's it's one of the and you know, the uh, the hotspots for much of the work on ecosystem services. Um, in our with our center, one of the uh, main partners is Stanford University's uh, Natural Capital Project, the NatCap mm-hmm. project. Um, so we work together with partners like uh, Wake Forest University, with WWF, the uh, World Wildlife Fund, with um, USAID, Aid um, to to work on these issues. And one thing that's really clear is that by working together, um, we can we can do a lot more than working by ourselves. So we find coming to to these meetings extremely productive uh, and useful for, for places as far away and remote as the Peruvian Amazon.
0: We hope that you can do much and you can improve <laughs> the situation and, and actually find probably a formula to help when this happen in the future. Hopefully it will stop happening for the future, but if it do, we learn from that.
1: Uh, well, we hope mm-hmm. that, that definitely uh, this, this happens and I uh, appreciate your interest. Thanks.
0: And this was Atenea Americana.
1: Atenea, Atenea
0: Americana. Atenea Americana. Stanford, 90.1 FM. Rayon Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin Universe. This is Rayan. Tenea Americana Bilingual House of Culture On the Air and Online Su Casa de la Cultura En la Radio y Online Para la Radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford I am Isabel Jubes Isabel Jubes Vuelve pronto
1: Americana
0: From Stanford to the world. Remember to come back soon Ciao See you later